This is Power 1 and 2 Digital, the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Evie, for our major news. Of course, we have a news brief coming up at uh, 8 o'clock. All courtesy, Champlain Auto Services, all right? Um... Before I get into a traffic update, let me just wish a couple of people happy birthday, my good friend Anila Narain Singh Dindia, who I went to primary school with. It's your birthday, happy birthday to you. And also my good pal across the pond. Today is Prince Harry's birthday, would you believe? He's 38 today. Alright, let's take a look at what's happening, traffic. Oh my goodness. Maybe I should just not give you a traffic update. Let me see if there are any car accidents. Um, yep, I got one accident to tell you about on the Diggle Martin Highway southbound. So heading out of Diggle Martin and it's by Crystal Streamlights. Oh, somebody probably just... Did a little hit from behind. Apart from that, it is chock-a-block everywhere. Lady Young Road, Maravalva, sure. St. Anne's. Yeah, Churchill Roosevelt Highway. Traffic this morning is from Chin Chin Road to QRAP, Kelly, St. Helena. Wow. They are going to be boy. It's not too bad. San Fernando is lighter than usual. The creek is busy. We're going to pick up traffic this morning from Freeport heading northbound. All right? Wow. Traffic, I hate it. All right, guys. Um, let's get the results of our morning poll, shall we? All right. Yeah, so um, we, our poll this morning was... Um, whether you felt that the peace treaty, um, peace treaty now, peace, peace talks treaty between um, <laughs> Farley and Duke will be successful. Um, we had 26 people voting on the poll this morning. Of the 26, 20 of you said no, you don't think it will be successful. Six of you said yes, you think it will. So 26 people voting in the allotted yeah. time. 20 of you said no. You don't think it will be successful. Six of you said yes. You think it will. Yeah, I got of course, to you can results. continue to vote on this poll throughout the day, through all programming, and we'll give you the final results. Of course, tomorrow. When it will be Friday. All right. Mr. Martin George, good morning. What says you in Hi, regards sir. to our morning poll? Good morning. Well, the thing is, I, I don't even know who on peace talks. <laughs> Y'all are speaking of in the sense of, um, you know, is it that they have something scheduled? Definitely. Well, there was something last yesterday. And so one of the dailies this morning um, referenced it as peace talks. Um, the, the Express, actually. Um mm-hmm indicated that those talks were supposed to be ongoing it's unclear whether of course um um watson duke actually showed up we're not sure 
at least we, we don't know this morning. You see, so therefore, that, that's why I will not even speculate because, I mean, unless I have some clear indication that they actually had some kind of discussion in that regard, then, I mean, otherwise it, it just ends up um, being, you know, a, I, I think idle speculation because <laughs> I've seen nothing official. In fact, the um, only thing I saw official was the chairman of the party coming out and basically castigating the chief secretary. So that didn't seem to be indicative along the lines of peace talks. Because if you, if you look at um, the, the, the newspapers today, the, um, you, there are reports where the chairman of the party, Sean Ned, he came out and he was very strong in his criticism of um, Mr. Farley Augustine. And he said that, you know, um, Farley should not um, have, you know, acted in the manner that he did towards Mr. Duke and the party stands behind Mr. Duke. Uh, those were the things he said. So the, 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 it seems to me the, the fracture lines are deepening instead of, you know, there being any healing or, um, you know, any move towards um, unity. According to the headline of the Express today, um, they're saying that the PDG, PDB chairman is saying the party is working on conciliation meetings between Duke and Farley. We wish to get this handled, fixed, and moved on. Right, yeah. So, right. So, I mean, I, I take that to mean that they're probably working on trying to get meetings started. But um, if it is that, you know, people are speaking about ongoing meetings in that regard, I don't know. Recording don't in progress. Yeah. But in, in terms of the overview of the situation, because, of course, it all started with these, um, well, it, it all started from a public point of view, let me put it this way, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the optics publicly with um, Watson Duke talking about the 27 members of the folk um, troop that was in New York and that they were under dire situations and he basically attacked the THA, THA um, and its decision-making with regard to having that situation. And, of course, it, it bloomed from there. And, of course, it's now created a specter of disharmony within the PDP, who were extremely successful as a party in Tobago. I mean, extremely successful. And now you have this internal wrangling that of course is going to affect their brand one way or the other um what's your overview of it martin in terms of how you see the pdp moving forward and, and is this a really bad situation for them in terms of the pdp brand well it, it depends on how they handle it going forward i mean the fact of the matter is, Paul, I mean, even among families, you know, sometimes you could have disagreements, you could have fallouts, you know, you could have this one not speaking to the next one, or this one said something that upset, you know, other family members. But sometimes you're able to handle it in a mature, rational, reasonable way, and you're able to heal the differences and move forward with common purpose and common goals and with a sense of unity. At this point, I cannot predict how they are going to handle this because thus far, despite all efforts and all indicators by, I think, you know, um, 
most commentators and persons who want the best for Tobago, it appears that they have not gotten to that stage of, you know, being able to handle it in that type of mature, rational, reasonable uh, discussion or mediation. We of the Tobago Chamber, we have, you know, extended ourselves to say, well, look, hey, we are willing to facilitate any such talks or, you know, any such discussion because we think that this is really not good for Tobago at all. This, this is this is the last thing Tobago needs at this point. The, the economy is now beginning to pick back up. There's renewed interest in Tobago. People are now beginning to, you know, look at, you know, coming to do investments in Tobago. So therefore, you want a stable political climate. You don't want these types of uh, upheavals and, you know, um, you know the, the, the bacchanalia associated with it. Morning, Martin. Do, do you think this raises further questions about accountability and procedures in the Assembly, given the fact that it seems that there's a difference of opinion uh, in terms of how this folk performer funding issue should have been handled and now others are asking questions about well if if there's a, an established process in public bodies as it, as there is why did this reach this stage because there's a, a process involved in acquiring funding from any state body well the thing is paul if you look at the history of the THA as an organization and i'm not just talking about this administration i'm talking stretching back decades the THA has been a runaway horse in terms of its lack of accountability, lack of transparency, its consistent failure to provide the Auditor General with records when the Auditor General requests them, with reports, with receipts, with bank statements. I mean, you just look at the annual report of the Auditor General over the years and it is replete with you know the complaints about the THA and its lack of accountability. So basically, this just appears to be a continuation of that same type of behavior. Now, this is despite the fact that on the political platform, one of the things that I think the PDP campaigned on would have been greater accountability and transparency. But clearly, with this process, something went wrong and then you ask yourself, well, okay, how many other scenarios like this have occurred that just have not hit the public domain? In other words, it's only because Mr. Duke shone a spotlight on this nationally that, you know, people came to know about this issue. So how many other groups or trips or, you know, other events or, you know, funding um, issues have, you know, quietly taken place with no accountability, no transparency, and nobody, nobody's any the wiser. You know, so you we have to recognize that, look, it's either we put stricter legislative controls over the THA, because when you look at other regional corporations, because the, the THA basically functions like the regional corporation for Tobago. Other regional corporations, they are much more accountable than the THA is and the THA has well that might be necessarily so because we've had reports recently of several regional corporations that have not supplied audited financial reports right no i i know but what i'm saying is that it it is more 
um, of an issue with the THE than it has been. So I'm not saying that the others are perfect, not by any stretch of imagination, but it has been more of an issue with the THE. And then you look at the size of the budget that the THE handles every year, which is basically about $3 billion. And you look at the population size that they cater for, which is basically about 60,000 people. When you do the math, you recognize that, look, hey, there is much more room for these types of scenarios with monies, you know, going missing, monies being unaccounted for. You know, I mean, if you recall, there was an issue some time ago with, um, you know, a, a, an $8 million payment. There were issues with payments for artists who never showed up. And, you know, I mean, and you, it, it has just been on and on and on. And these are the ones that hit the public domain. What about all the other hundreds of payments over the decades which have never come to light but can this be seen then as an attempt by mr august augustine to to bring in that horse because we've seen the application i think the original funding requested was seven hundred thousand. from what i see the public domain there had been uh uh an agreement by mr augustine uh uh and the assembly to fund $400,000, the folk performance, they haven't received any money. But of course, there seemed to have been a, a time issue in terms of the timely application and process used to one, approve, and two, access the funding, ending up in name Brooklyn in New York. Well, the thing is, I mean, I would hope that it is an attempt by the administration to put some systems in place, but unless and until I have clear and definite information and evidence in that regard, I would not be able to make a pronouncement. Because, you know, you, you see the posturings, you hear the statements being made publicly, but at the end of the day, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. How should the public, or how should they, they both gentlemen reconcile one? The fact that whether or not Mr. Augustine has been removed as a deputy political leader, the PDP's operation is completely different from the Assembly's operation. And Mr. Augustine is Chief Secretary of the Assembly. And Mr. Duke, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, is subservient to that position in the Assembly. Well, all right, yes, but Paul, the practical flip side to that, right? So yes, I, I accept what you say. But the practical flip side to that is that you are there on a PDP ticket. So essentially, the support of the party is essential to keeping you there, all right? And the support of the party members who are within that assembly. So if it is that the party takes a position that they have lost confidence in you or they no longer have confidence in you in that regard, then it makes it more difficult for you to be able to hold on to that position, particularly if the members in the assembly express that in a vote. So it, 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 I hear you in terms of, yes, of course, he is the chief secretary and you know the term of the chief secretary is supposed to last for four years, but section 35 of the same THA Act also provides the provision whereby you can have a vote of no confidence in order to have either the chief secretary or the deputy chief secretary 
So in other words, it's a two-edged sword that Mr. Duke is playing with there because it, it could turn on its head and there could be a vote of no confidence in the deputy chief secretary, if you understand me. And he could also be removed the same way. So I guess it comes down to a question of who has the greater numbers in terms of the support. Mr. Augustine has basically thrown down the gauntlet to Mr. Duke, suggesting publicly that you know he has the numbers on his side. We have not heard anything from Mr. Duke in response to that open challenge that was given. So maybe it is that at this point, Mr. Augustine does have the numbers, you know, but we, we don't know until it's actually tested if it comes to that. The PNM Gallery is on in Cutty, and I'm using colloquial language here. In the, <laughs> in the last H election, the, the signs were there since the election before that with the 6-6. Six, six. Yes. And then the, the format was changed to accommodate for 15, and then it mm. went 14-1. So yeah. there was a clear sense from Tobagonians that uh, a clear message from Tobagonians that they did not appreciate the way the PNM was running the island. Yes, that's for sure. What does this mean for the PNM now, given this imbroglio in the leadership of the PDP, resoundingly put into power in the THA, not even just about a year ago, it's January it will be a year. Yes. Less than a year into into its tenure of leadership as a new party. Does this put the PNM in an advantageous position or is this just something they have to resolve moving forward, the PDP, that is? Well, I'm not sure that this necessarily translates to any, um, you know, fillip or boost for the PNM at this stage, Paul. This is a situation basically where you have passengers in a maxi taxi and the engine is giving some trouble, but the maxi hasn't shut down, it hasn't stalled, it hasn't you know, um, come to a total stop. So the passengers are going to remain on board, I, I, I feel. If it is that it gets worse and, you know, there's, you know, deeper fracturing within the party and it basically ends up being two camps whereby, you know, it's either the Farley camp or the Watson camp and, you know, the, the population is then forced to make that choice then, of course, that will redound to the benefit of the PNM because persons may feel, well, look, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. i rather get, you know, um, one united party that I can, you know, pitch my tent with. But by the, by the maxi is moving forward, to use your, your example, the driver and the conductor are fighting, so we don't know what direction the maxi is going. Exactly right. So that, that's what I'm saying. So it, there, there are concerns. There are definitely concerns, but I am not sure that it necessarily means at this stage that this is a boon or a bonus or a benefit to the PNM. How can this work to the benefit of the PDP moving forward? Ah, well, if they learn the lessons from it and try to avoid repeating the mistakes, you know, because the point is, you know, if, if we, it said that if we don't learn from the mistakes of the past, we are doomed to repeat them. So the fact of the matter is that if you have a hastily arranged and, you know, um, ill-conceived, you know, patch up and, you know, uh, brokering up a, a peace deal, and it's not any deep-seated or lasting effort, then you will see this flaring up again. Because the point is, if you listen to the language, you, you look at the posturings, it appears that there are deep-seated differences between the two individuals. So in other words, that's not something that's going to go away overnight in terms of, um, you know, just saying, well, okay, let's sign an agreement. 
Remember, even going into the election, they all signed on to an agreement that, you know, there would be certain behaviors, etc. That seems to have gone out the window. <laughs> you know, so... Um, it, it I'm, really, smiling because, I'm smiling because I'm not people. surprised. Politicians always sign behavior codes and then they forget them. <laughs> I, I have two questions with this, but I, I, I want to pose them because I don't want to forget them. One is related to whether or not you think this imbroglio and the, the possible impact of the of its running of the THA in the interest of the people of Tobago and Trinidad, because we like to separate them, but we really shouldn't be separating them because what affects mm. Tobago affects Trinidad also, and yeah. vice versa, is a deeper indication of the legislative reform that's needed regarding governance of Tobago, one. And two, because before I forget, how can this affect Tobago's petitioning for what is expected in the upcoming budget, not a week off. So let's deal with the governance part first, please. Okay, all right. So I don't think that this really um, is a governance issue in terms of legislatively as it relates to the THA and any question of legislative reform. This really is a party issue and how they handle themselves as a party and I think that um, if you look at what Mr. Gustin is attempting to do, he's attempting to basically say, hey, listen, the business of the teacher is continuing. Um, I think last Sunday he had a meeting with the residents in Crown Point and, you know, he showed himself and his other staff members at work. And I, I think basically he's trying to, you know, assure the public that, look, things are continuing as normal. So it's not really a governance issue. This is more a party issue. Of course, it does have the potential to spill over and affect the governance of the island because if it is that you have a situation where even like, for instance, ordinary staffers in the THA are being basically pressured or being um, looked at as to whether you're in the Farley camp or the Watson camp, and if that continues, then of course, you may have you know, greater divisions occurring. And of course, yes, that is going to affect the governance of the island you know, at that point. I'm not sure we're there yet, and I'm hoping we never get there. You know, but the fact of the matter is that it's primarily still a party issue. In terms, in terms of the budget, of the and, 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 and how and the budget. how urgent is the resolution of this in the interest of, of course, the, the budget is coming up. Finance Minister Imber will present the budget and Tobago will get what Tobago gets, what they decided upon already. But it has implication moving forward because Tobago has been recently before the two elections at an impasse of stalemate in the Assembly. Um, hindering the work of 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 the in, the assembly in the interest of Tobagonians. So you don't want another impasse that again affects the the progress of the assembly and the work. Yes, I I fully agree, and I think that I mean at the end of the day, it it's not going to affect whatever numbers um, the finance minister would have already calculated as being due for Tobago. But of course, if it is that the are not able to get their act together in terms of a unified front going forward. Of course, this is going to hamper and stymie the efforts at getting the allocations from the central government, effecting the works that are necessary, you know, because you would need to have your team on board with you. You can't have, you know, um, a leader who has to constantly be looking back to see who may be sharpening the long knife, you know, behind his back while he's trying to lead the team forward. 
So I think in that regard, they definitely need to um, ensure that this is resolved as expeditiously as possibly. Uh, the knife and sharpener at the end of it, just whether or not he, the knife is being thrust. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may be so. It may be so. Yeah. Maybe so. <laughs> well, I know the Minister of Finance would have had a meeting with uh, Chief Secretary Farley concerning the budget that's due to be um, read on the 26th. So I don't know what that means in terms of whether, whether Chief Secretary Farley left disappointed out of the conversation with the Minister of Finance. So if he left, you know, with a positive frame of mind, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, that, that meeting is, is just part of the normal process that takes place. But um, as I say, you know, the finance minister is the one who really has the final say as to um, what he actually um, allocates for Tobago or not. And, you know, um, in the past, we've seen the scenarios where if it is that the party in power in the THA is also the same party in central government, they, you know, they, they, they bow obsequiously and they thank the finance minister for what he gave them, you know, because, of course, they can't go against their party, you know, and they, they are so appreciative. But, of course, now that you have a different party in central government as opposed to who is in the THA executive, of course, you'd imagine the response, regardless of what is allocated, is that they're going to say, well, it's not sufficient. Um, they're not able to get their work done. And, you know, so... I mean, we await, I, I think, the usual posturing that occurs after the budget is read. I know earlier you had talked about the issue of the the PDP imbroglio um, affecting, well, potentially could affect um, investment in Tobago because you said the economy um, is starting to tick up. You're starting to get um, um, investment in the island. Um, how optimistic are you uh, about the Tobago economy at this point? Despite the PDP issue, um, but how how optimistic are you about where Tobago is potentially moving to? Well, the thing is, um, things are picking up for sure, I could tell you. Um, you speak to the hoteliers, you speak to the guest houses, you speak to the villa owners. They are booked out, basically. This upcoming carnival has generated tremendous interest. There are numerous events planned. Of course, we need to ensure that Cal is on board in terms of increased flights. Um, I have been at the forefront of calling upon them repeatedly, to put on more flights, particularly for the upcoming, um, you know, carnival events. Um, so I am still hopeful that my call has fallen on fertile ground somewhere within the belly and bosom of the, you know, Caribbean Airlines um, infrastructure. Um, but otherwise, I can tell you there really is um, tremendous progress being made. And we certainly don't need this type of infighting and this internecine warfare taking place within the PDP, the party that is actually in charge of the TAG. So we hope that it would be resolved, you know, in, in the shortest possible time. But of course, um, unless the two gentlemen decide they want to have that rapprochement and, you know, that moving together to, you know, find a workable solution, then, I mean, we just have to basically wait and see what happens. Is this just growing pains for a young party, or is it right? But does it rise to the occasion of a Manning Rowley battle or a Kamala Pandey battle for leadership? Uh, well, it appears to be 
yes, those, those two examples appear to be apt, but it's just that it's a bit surprising that it has occurred so early in the game, you know? And I mean, the point is you, 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 you can have people who have different styles, if you understand me. You look at Manen, Rowley, as you gave that example, they had different styles. You look at Kamala, Pandey, yes, they also had different styles. And clearly, between Farley and Duke, there are different styles. But the point is, if we are able, Paul, as mature, rational human beings to say, well, okay, look, I don't necessarily agree with everything you do or you say, but I recognize that you bring strengths, you bring value to the table. You may not agree with everything I say, but you recognize that I also bring tremendous strength, value, and potential to the table. Then we try to find the good in each other and work with that and ensure that we try to keep a lid on the aspects which are annoying and aggravating to each other. So therefore, we are able to create some sort of synergy going forward. But if they are not able to get past their egos and get past themselves, you know, in terms of, well, you know, because basically this is, this is a, 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 a baseball bat swinging contest. You know, basically, you know, mine is bigger than yours. That, that's basically what... what, what you, they you were about. very kind in the analogy there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's radio friendly. Do you think, who, um, in, in the context of Mr. Duke has a, has a lot more experience in politics. He has gone from Wasser to PSA president for a number of consecutive terms to launching a political party that nobody, that many thought, I mean, not say nobody, that many thought didn't have a snowballing chance to topple, quote unquote, the mighty PNM in Tobago, who has had the most, and I used the term mighty PNM in Tobago because the PNM has had the longest tenure at the helm of the THA. To doing that convincingly. And then you are, that's Mr. Duke. And then you have Fadi Augustine, who is a relative newcomer, a lot of potential, very articulate, very intelligent, presents himself in a very statesmanlike way. Who has more to lose if this isn't resolved? Uh, between the two gentlemen, um, one would think that um, it would be a scenario where I would think that certainly uh, Mr. Duke would have more to lose if this isn't resolved. Simply being that you have a scenario where Mr. Augustine does not have the um, history or the antecedents or the pedigree um, you know, as you say, politically, as Mr. Duke has, right? So therefore, if Mr. Augustine ends up trumping Mr. Duke here, um, it would seem as if, well, you know, the the the, the newcomer, the, the 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 student has, you know, outshone the master. So you know, I I think that in terms of losing face, it would be it would look worse for Mr. Duke. However, in the long run, we have to recognize that if it is that Mr. Duke really has the party base behind him, as he seems to suggest, then ultimately it may force Mr. Augustine into a position where he may have to find a new home, basically, in terms of a party. So that now is a different, you know, kettle of fish you're looking at, because if it is that they expel him from the party and he now has to find a new party or form a new party, then that's a totally different scenario you're talking about. And I mean, so you're asking if the Tobago vote for the PDP or did they vote for party or a combination of all the above at that time? Yeah. So, the, and, and the thing is, that's why Mr. Duke, I think, feels that he has his strength on the ground in terms of he thinks that the party supporters, the grassroots supporters, are in his corner. 
So basically, and I mean, he has said so. He said, I founded this party. I am the, you know, basically, and the, the, the chairman of the party actually repeated those types of words. So you can see that's where they are headed. They are saying basically, okay, you have the power, but we have the party. <laughs> you know, so in other words. And the parties who got you in power. Yes. So in other words, mm -hmm. it could be a situation where you end up with the emperor having no clothes. But in your sense on the ground, Martin, is it that you think that um, Watson Duke is correct in thinking that he has the votes on the ground and that people will support him quicker than they would Chief Secretary Farley? Well, the thing is, I mean, the reality is Watson is a street fighter. We know that, okay? I mean, his history is clear. His public record is clear. So he has that touch with the people on the ground, and I think maybe even more so than Mr. Augustine, who has not had as many years in the political arena, and Mr. Duke has a way of connecting, I think, with the people on the ground in a very base and guttural manner that appears to appeal to some of them. I think Mr. Augustine, his appeal would more be to the moderates, you know, those who would more, you know, tend to, you know, ap approach things with, you know, the logic, the reason, the, the, the intelligentsia, the intellectuals, he, he will have the appeal there. But I think Mr. Duke is basically saying, hey, listen, the grassroots people on the ground are behind me. I think that's basically his position. And he's saying, look, the majority of his party base comprises those people who support him in that way. Do you think the PNM has, after the loss, the colossal loss, have reconstituted themselves in a way that's formidable enough to take any advantage of this at this point? Uh, the thing is, I mean, in terms of their internal reorganizations, um, I'm not sure it is yet at a point where the average man in the street in Tobago is saying, hey, listen, all right. Because of this, I am looking at PNM as an alternative. I'm not sure it's reached to that point yet. Because the only name you're still hearing is Calvin Morris. You're not hearing any uh, other name. That's the point. And that's simply because he's the only member in the assembly. He's the minority leader. But then even there, I think that unless the PNM is able to throw up a charismatic enough of a leader who has that gravitas and that pull, to be able to say, hey, listen, I am coming out, you know, and I'm going to be able to, you know, coalesce the forces. Is, is that me. answer, Dennis? Because to me, from the word on the street, the issue wasn't necessarily as much the PNM as it was Tracy Davidson Celestin. Well, I mean, of course, people had issues with her, and um, she, you know, was um, removed from the position. Um, Ansel is now the leader of the PNM in Tobago as to whether he has that standing stature and gravitas that I was speaking about as a charismatic leader to be able to now come out and capitalize on this situation. It is yet to be seen um, if he will be able to do so. But I think if they had that kind of person, they would clearly be able to make much more of this in the present circumstances. Have you seen that kind of person? Uh, I, I mean, uh, my individual view, I have not yet seen it, 
Of course, persons may have the potential. They may just be doing as the Bible says and keeping their candle hidden under a bushel so you don't see the light shining yet. Tobago, you said Tobago is on, on some sort of rebound. I read an article and I shared it with the guys earlier in the week. Jamaica has recorded its best ever summer period for tourism, $4.2 billion. They said in its history, coming out of a pandemic, $4.2 billion. While Tobago may be coming out of what it was two years ago, that's that's a relative position to where it was in a pandemic. Is Has the work been done to get Tobago in a competitive position? No. I don't and... expand anymore. <laughs> it's a simple answer, no. Because I have spoken about this repeatedly. They have no clue as to what they're doing. They don't even understand what tourism is. Who is they? Let's talk. Let's continue. Who is they? I'm talking about those who have been in charge of the THA consecutively, not just this administration. Over the years, they don't appear to have the slightest clue as to what they are doing. And what they do, they arrange these trips and these joy rides for persons and their supporters and their family and friends. And they think that that's tourism. That has nothing to do with tourism with the greatest of respect. You know, what they need to understand is basically, okay, analyze and assess what is your product. You analyze and assess what is your market. Who are the people you are targeting? They have had programs like, remember the, the, they organized flights to Brazil to try to get tourists from Brazil. Really? Who on earth from Brazil wants to leave Brazil to come to Tobago for a vacation? Remember, they paid for the flight with 300, started with 300 and something people, and the flight is stopping everywhere else. It ended up landing in Tobago with eight people. I mean, come on. The, 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 the nonsense and absurdity. Even, for instance, okay, if you're talking about the cruise ship industry, what you need to do is to try to ensure that you get your port to be a hub. That is where you make the money as a cruise ship um, point, not just having a cruise ship dock at your port you know you want to be a hub so in other words the the cruises would originate from you then you would now start to see the the benefits of that so i mean the point is i mean then look you you had the sandals project um people in tobago they they rejoiced when the sandals project collapsed so they don't even understand what tourism is about because the point is as i told people repeatedly the brand that sandals is it brings visitors. Once you have a Sandals and a beaches resort at, on, on your island, people will come to your island. When Sandals advertises internationally, they will say Sandals Tobago, right? I spoke with the VP of marketing in Sandals. He indicated that their plan was to have the Tobago Sandals as the number one Sandals in the entire region. They were planning over water villas. They, they plan to make it the best, best ever. So, in other words, what happens? Eh? Let me tell you. People who normally stay at Sandals Resorts, what they do, they then hop around. They look for the other islands that have Sandals. Because they say, well, I haven't tried this one yet. Let me go. Tobago has a Sandals. And I'm you're right, to... because they offer these. You, when you pay for one Sandals, you can actually go to the others for free. Ah, you just have to provide your air, tra your air transportation. You can you can actually stay. I have four friends who re recently did a, a tour of four sandals in the caribbean and once they paid for one they were able to stay at all the others within that uh, state period for free and this is what i'm telling you and the point is sandals has already mastered the marketing the branding the positioning so therefore once you piggyback on that 
you would start seeing. I mean, I've been all over the world. I've been in. Well, then, is it a failure of the, the people of Tobago? Is it a failure of the government, given that they had it in their hand and they allowed propaganda and old talk and bacchanal to make, make it disappear? Well, I mean, the point is, I, I think it's it's both. I think the, 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 it has to be shared, you know, um, on both sides. But the fact of the matter is, I think to a large extent, you know, from talking to people on the ground and hearing their views, it appears that they did not understand or appreciate what the brand sandals could do. Then you also had some of the business persons and hoteliers who were fearful that, well, if sandals comes, you know, um, it's going to be bad for us. And they also don't understand it because when the tide rises, all the boats rise with the tide. It's the experience of Grenada. The small hoteliers similarly were fearful of sandals. And they are now the greatest champions of sandals because you know what? When sandals is booked, the spillover goes to all of them. Then also the quality and standard in terms of service delivery has improved for all the small hotels in Grenada because you basically have to up your game to keep in the race. So therefore it's a benefit to everyone. You know, when you look at service quality in Tobago, that has always been a perennial problem. There has been no, you know, specific... So then should the government plan. revisit that sandals and go and talk to the, the, his, the steward brothers and say, but give me an extra chance now? Well, the thing is, you see, um, it's a question of how it came into being in the first place. We need to understand that, first of all, sandals did not want to invest in Trinidad and Tobago. It's because of certain... You know, personalities who are influential. Relationships were leveraged. Right. With Butch Stewart while he was alive. And they convinced him to try and, you know, make the step. So the point is, the minute that Tobago rejected the Sanders, you had St. Lucia, St. Vincent, you had Curacao, you had all these other islands who said, okay, they don't want it, come by me. And Curacao recently opened their Sanders. St. Lucia opened their fourth Sanders fourth sandals. So, I mean, if you have three and you are eager to grab a fourth one and St. Lucia's tourism is way above Tobago. So clearly they must recognize the value of the brand. So, you know, I mean, these are things that I think that we, we really missed opportunities as to, you know, where, how you apportion the blame. I mean, of course, we could debate that forever, but the fact of the matter is we need to learn from these lessons and understand that in going forward, you must have that type of brand tourism because that pulls people anyhow from anywhere. Your airlift problem is going to be resolved automatically once you have that type of branding on your island because people are going to come for the brand. We need to understand tourism has, you know, gone way beyond seawater and sand. But well, was the decoupling of Trinidad tourism product and Tobago tourism product productive? Because now Sorry. there is a separate entity promoting Tobago and a separate entity promoting Trinidad. Was that decoupling productive? Uh, well, the thing is, I think the idea was that they were trying to market it as two separate destinations. But here's the problem, Paul. You do not have sufficient direct flights to Tobago to make that productive. So you still have to land in Trinidad. You still have to fight up at the airport, sometimes waiting on standby, you know, begging, you know, for a seat to go. No tourist wants to go through that as your first experience in the country. Nobody wants to go through that. Could you imagine you came off an eight-hour flight, Paul, 
and then you landed at Piafu. You're there by the counter with your bags and your suitcases. You're tired, you're frustrated. You just want to get to your hotel, have a shower, get something to eat, and probably sleep. And then, you know, in this hassle, this mass of people, this mass of confusion, you're in a strange country, you don't know what's going on. You know, they're telling you, well, your flight is canceled or there's no seat for you. And I mean, it, it, it's, an, it's an awful experience. You know, so we need to ensure that we have a seamless transition of persons who are coming to Tobago. And if you don't have the airlift and you don't have the capacity in terms of the demand for the hotel rooms, you will never get that. And that's where it begins. So in other words, let me tell you, this brand new airport that they're fighting to build in Tobago, that, okay, yes, it is a necessary part of it, but in, in a sense, they're actually putting the cart before the horse, you know. Because if you don't have that demand in the first place, building the biggest airport in the world is not... But, but you just said, that sounds... Because you just said people still have to land in Trinidad. Wouldn't the airport facilitate landing directly in Tobago? No, if you don't have the demand, Paul. That's what I'm saying. Because you still have to book the airlines to come to Tobago. Ah, to that's okay. the point. That's the point. That's the point. Demand is what drives airlines to come and land in your place. If there isn't that demand to land directly in Tobago, they're not going to come. Well, I always say it's, it's 45 minutes from Miami to Jamaica. <laughs> we far down the train. What are we don't offering even, to black people far down the train? That. Don't what are we offering? That. I always said one of the biggest challenges is you could stop at Jamaica 45 minutes. Bahamas, Kirks and Caicos, Puerto Rico, Grenada, Bahamas, coming down the chain before you reach down here. What are you offering to drive me past all of that? Bring me. Ah, Paul, you see, now you are beginning to analyze it in the way. No, but I always say this is not brain surgery. I am sure the Minister of Tourism and all them know all of this. These are bright guys, they are government ministers, etc. Why is it so difficult for us to get past all of this? Mm. Well, you tell me. <laughs> well, I can tell you from where I sit. <laughs> they sit in Parliament. <laughs> but, but I, again, one of the issues is that, and we've spoken about this, the, we, yeah, we know all the, the rhetoric, the Dutch disease, we had oil and gas, we never focused it essentially enough. We don't have to make it work because we will wait for the price of, price of gas and oil to go up. So we don't have to make it work to survive. They have to make it work to survive. Yeah, but Paul, the thing is, okay, let's look at Dubai as an example. Dubai has always had more oil and gas than Trinidad and Tobago could ever imagine. They take long term. Decades ago, 50 years ago, they decided, hey, listen, oil and gas is not our future. We have oil and gas, but that is not going to be our future. Let's use the money from the oil and gas and start to invest in other things. So they started developing their tourism industry. They started developing their infrastructure, right? Du Dubai is now actually rivaling Disney World and Orlando as the number one tourist destination in the world. They're not satisfied with that. They are now moving into healthcare services. Dubai's vision is that they must be the medical center of the world. So in other words, you have the tourism infrastructure. You have all the hotels, all the amusement, everything, everything, everything. So in other words, they're saying, okay, in addition to that, you're not feeling well, come to Dubai. We will take care of you. We'll perform the surgery. We will provide the treatment. We'll do, and then afterwards, you can relax, recuperate, enjoy yourself, you, your family, your relatives. You are here in 
So that's what visionary leadership and, is. And about. sport, they, they're actually championing to make themselves a sport center in the world. That's the next thing. So, and, and, and you see, that, and that's what we have lacked, Paul. What we have had is politicians, and I mean, no um, offense to present company, we've had politicians who have... I'm a reluctant been, politician. <laughs> who have been basically working on a five-year plan just simply to get re-elected. So in other words, they are not thinking long-term. They aren't willing to make the sacrifices like Lee Kuan Yew in Singapore, who would basically say, hey, listen... This is for the good of the nation. This is our long-term plan. This is what we need to do. He, when he started, he was not popular. He was very yeah. unpopular. They didn't like him. But after they saw the benefits of his vision and when it, it being implemented, he was championed as a hero. But we don't have any politician that we could look around and point to and say, in TNT, this person is the one who's going to bite the bullet to make that type of long-term sacrifice. Because basically, well, in retrospect, I think the closest, the closest one we came to was by Mr. Manning. In retrospect, well, I mean, but I mean, I'm talking about persons um, on this side of life. <laughs> in Tobago. All right. <laughs> I don't. I don't have that kind of power. I mean, I have the vision, but I don't have that kind of power. Yes, as someone true. said, as someone told told me, resounding, nobody ever worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> so me and the public and nobody vote for me <laughs> All right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Martin, just thank you for being with us That's what we black. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, always a pleasure. All right. Talking to Martin, George, uh, head of the right. Tobago Business Chamber About the imbroglio in Tobago And the future of Tobago Moving forward News is next All right, thank you so Recording much Martin, stuff. George uh, Let's get into it, Evie is here Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.